Thank you, Sister Doris. The uh, children are invited to uh, either, either the nursery or downstairs for their time together. And uh, it's at this point in the service that we will uh, we'll stand, maybe shake out our legs a little bit and say hello, happy Easter to one another um, without shaking hands. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Good. So then if we can have everyone face this way on this side, I'm going to take the picture to, you know, email to heaven again so that so that God knows who is here today for contract <laughs> or contact tracing. So it's good. It's it's a joke that never never gets old at least to me. <laughs> you all may be seated. <laughs> He is risen. That is all. Enjoy your Easter ham. That's all we have to say today. That's it. That's all we need, right? There's a <laughs> what else is there to say? I mean, he is risen, and um, uh, Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Jesus is no longer in the grave. He has, ha he has the victory. He has conquered death, and we have been invited to live in, uh, in this new life in Christ. Uh, so, really, that's the sermon. And uh, now, Dore where'd Doris go? Usually, I'm the funny one in church service, but she—that was brilliant. Amen. Was that brilliant? Can we just give Doris a, a thank you? <laughs> uh, I may have one or two things to share this morning, uh, given our scripture story. Uh, but I just want to pause and say how incredibly grateful I am that one year ago on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. We, this wasn't possible, all right? So a year ago, we were maybe a month into this thing, this thing, this pandemic, and it is just good to gather uh, in person and also online as well. And so uh, it's just, I'm just, have a grateful, I mean, it's already a win, <laughs> just right there, just being able to, to do this. Um, and uh, again, for us here and for those gathered online, uh, may the risen Christ's grace and peace be with each one of you. Uh, well, it's been a journey, amen. Uh, back on February 17th, we had this Ash Wednesday service, which marked the beginning of our Lenten pilgrimage. And uh, we've, each and every week, we, we've been invited into something deeper, as our series is called uh, Deep Calls Unto Deep. It's been hard, yet it's been a gift. So today, may we celebrate that through that time, through that Lenten pilgrimage, can we celebrate the Lord's faithfulness? Can we celebrate his goodness? Can we celebrate the Lord's grace, his love, his mercy? And can we celebrate, most of all, his presence with us? Um, so we've journeyed together, and as we've journeyed with Jesus, my hope and prayer is that you have been reminded of, uh, or perhaps revealed for the first time, of God's unfailing love for you and for his church. Uh, this week on Thursday, we had a beautiful, beautiful Monday Thursday service here in the sanctuary. 
which we had um, communion as well as foot washing. And then we gathered on Good Friday a couple nights ago, and we, we, we read through and reflected on the passion narrative uh, at the, the last uh, moments of Jesus' life. And then on Holy Saturday, hopefully we were all met with uh, God's presence in, even in the midst of God's absence. And today, he is risen. And tomorrow, he is risen. And Tuesday, he is risen. And Wednesday, he is risen. And Thursday, he is risen. Okay? All right? This is, this is, uh, this is for cause for celebration. Our Easter text this morning is from John 20. And uh, so much to comment on here. Um, but I know that the ham is cooking at home, so I won't be too long. Uh, but I, I won't be able to get to it all, but I want to highlight a couple things that um, the Spirit sort of moved in me this week, uh, throughout Holy Week, as I interacted with this text. Um, early on the first day of the week, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from its, from its entrance, from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Now, many of us know uh, that uh, there's four gospel accounts. And if you look at all four gospel accounts, their resurrection stories, we would note some differences in each of those. In each of those uh, uh, it's, it's a, it, there's a different telling of the same event. And if you line them up, you can actually see major differences in the two. And, and then you could see apologists uh, trying to explain away all of the differences. But um, if that's the focus, then thereby we might miss the true significance of the story altogether. Today we're handed the specific John 20 passage. Our version today, uh, Mary is alone. Mary is alone as she encounters the tomb. In other accounts, there's multiple women, women with her. So, so, so true to our text this morning, it was Kelly, a lone woman who came to, to proclaim, I have seen the Lord. But one thing um, to notice here is even in, in the first line, it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Mark often puts time markers as indicators for his entire gospel of where, where we are in the story. And, and this one is significant, especially as we look against the backdrop of John's whole gospel, his whole uh, gospel. It starts John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through whom all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all, say all, mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning is how it begins. And so if the lights are going off on your dashboard in, in, in your brain, uh, this takes the reader back to the genesis of all things. The first day, in the beginning, God created on the first day. And while it was still dark. This language is a time marker, but one that gives a nod to the birth of a new creation. The God that is aligning up something new. Jesus has risen from the dead. This is the first day of a new reality. This is the first day of a new age. 
God is on the move once again. Also, we notice that Mary begins running. Has this ever happened to you? Okay, so you receive some frightening news or, or, you, or you receive something unexpected, right? And, and it sends your life, it sends your day for sure into a frantic pace. Anyone? Kind of like, oh, you receive something that's unexpected um, and now your whole day seems like it's in a hurry. Whether physically, mentally, the emotions in your heart, it's just in a frantic pace. This is Mary on that, on that first Easter morning. So, uh, and not just with Mary, but Peter and the beloved disciple. And let me pause here. It says the other disciple, the, the beloved disciple. Many folks feel this is, this is John, sort of writing about himself. Like, look at me, I'm the beloved disciple. Uh, a lot of folks feel, uh, say that this is, and I, I don't know, I kind of come from a different angle. Uh, maybe it's not named. The person's not named because we're invited to place ourselves in the story, okay? So as we go through the rest of this text, where are you? Are you, uh, we are disciples, right? So just, I, I think it's to invite us into a deeper uh, um, experience of this story. So, uh, so Peter and the beloved disciple, or you, are now invited into the track meet, okay? Lots of running in this text. Uh, it might be uh, coach's favorite passage of all scripture, right? Uh, uh, track coach over here. Um, she passes the baton on to Peter. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, well-coached, uh, uh, reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, um, in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, uh, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. This is a lot of detail, isn't it? This is just, okay, there's a little too much. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just very, very detailed description. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb, tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So they run. Why? Because they must see for themselves. The first disciple does not go in right away, and we don't know why. I mean, we could guess maybe he was out of breath, possibly. Who knows? But we don't know why he doesn't go in right away. But perhaps he was a bit more reflective, a bit more patient than Peter. Uh, so this other disciple pauses and doesn't go in immediately. Peter, though, charges right in. I mean, this is typical Peter, right? All right? We expect this from him. I love it. I, it would have been me. I would have gone right in. Come on, let's go. But the other disciple, in his pausing, perhaps reflecting when ready, he follows Peter in. Then what? When he was ready. When he was ready. Then he went in. And he saw in belief. Now it doesn't say Peter saw in belief. He may have. It doesn't say it. He may have. But the other disciple believed. I might be making too much of this observation, but I think there is something 
about his slowness that I'm drawn to. One other note, um, while I was studying this uh, passage throughout the week, it says in verse 10, then the disciple went back to where they were staying. Okay? The, disciple went back, the disciples went back to the, where they were staying. The word here is translated staying. Sometimes it's, it's translated home. They went back home. But in the Greek, it, it, it's, this, this word is hardly ever translated as home or staying. In, in fact, it's only one version where I saw in the Wycliffe Bible translation. It says, therefore the disciples went again to themselves. This is curious to me. The disciples went back to themselves. Uh, I, I think I could, um, one can picture them simply going off to ponder what had happened rather than simply going back home to life as it were. This is a life-altering reality, to be sure. Again, there's a slowness. Not a slowness of like dumb or stupid. There's a slowness here. There's a slowness of contemplation, of reflection, of holding in an unhurried sort of way. What does this now mean? What does this now mean? Our text continues. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, and as she went, she bent over looking into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Again, very descriptive. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? There's a baby crying right now. Why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get, and I will get him. In case we overlook the beginning of the story, John seems to revisit this ongoing connection to the first creation story in Genesis. John is retelling the story in a fresh new way. He's inviting his readers to imagine what a new Genesis, a new beginning, a new creation looks like in the here and now. Louis Lamar, American novelist, short short story writer, said this, uh, There will come a time when you believe everything is finished, And that will be the beginning. You can always trust the man with the cowboy hat. Right, Ron Bachman? Right? (laughs) Well, there you go. Also of interest is that John is is the only one of the four gospel writers that places the, the tomb in a garden. Specifically says garden. And John is the only gospel where Jesus is arrested in a garden as well. Both references, I believe, as a call to mind to the Garden of Eden from the beginning. Where Adam in the garden, Adam in the garden failed. And we have here Jesus in the garden found to be faithful to his father. In Luke, Jesus 
Jesus prays for the cup to be to, to pass from him. He doesn't in Luke, but in John, where we have this text. He says to Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink from the cup that the Father has given me? Obedience, trust, faithfulness. In this garden, on the first day of the new week, God is now recreating, recreating, uh, starting something new. One other thing to note here, Jesus sees the woman weeping. Jesus sees the woman weeping. Notice his empathy toward her. For he too knows what it means to weep. A couple chapters earlier, he weeps over Jerusalem. And he weeps when Lazarus is in the grave. He shows empathy and he asks, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Come on now, Jesus. I think he already knows, right? I believe he, indeed he does know. He knows the answer to both of these questions already. And yet, he gives her opportunity and space to name that which is so troubling to her. Gives her opportunity and space to name her grief, to name her sorrow, to name her loss. Space to name her confusion of what's going on. Empathy on display to heights that we cannot miss. He is fully present to her. And I just look at the world around us. Given this season of the pandemic of political tension, racial tension, I just, we've lost that to be fully present, to ask the questions, and to provide space for others to name what is. And so Jesus does that here. The next verse, Jesus says to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani. In our gospel text, four weeks from now, in the Easter season, in four weeks, it says Jesus is the good shepherd. And in that story, it says the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Mary has already heard the gardener's voice before he says Mary. He asks these questions. So she's heard the voice, but she doesn't recognize until he says Mary, her name. And when Jesus says her name, Mary realizes that she is known by the gardener. And being known changes everything. Being known changes everything. Especially if you're known and you are known by Jesus who is the Christ. Being known is a powerful thing, seen, valued, accepted for exactly who you are, not who you will be someday. This is the power of the resurrection. She heard her name. She turned and responded. 
The truth is that even today, right here, right now, April 4th, 2021, Jesus is still calling people by name. He is calling me. He's calling you. He's calling us by name. Fully known and fully loved. God often calls us by name in the depth of our sacred selves where we are truly known in our essence and loved in our brokenness. Another thing just that was highlighted for me this week is noticing this thing about turning. Turning. In verse 16, it says that Mary turned toward him. Yet in verse 14, didn't Mary already do this? She turned around and saw Jesus. Two verses later, she turns again toward Jesus. Turning in verse 14, turns again in, in verse 16. This is twice. This is curious to me as well. What do you make of it? So Mary turns um, after talking to the angels and notices Jesus, Jesus standing there, but she doesn't know him. Okay, Such an ironic moment. Mary is approached by Jesus, who is the focus of her longing. But she does not recognize him because she's looking for a corpse. This is such a paradox of longing. While it fuels our searching and focuses our attention, it could also limit what we see. And, we, and, 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 and so we can miss that which we most deeply long for. Then Jesus says, Mary, her name. And now she turns, and instantly, with her whole being, she recognizes, she recognizes him and knew that he had risen from the dead. So we have this first turning, and I think the second turning is the hinge point of the story. The second turning. This turning in recognizing Jesus when he calls her by name. In the instance of uh, the instant of call and response, Mary's longing is transformed. Mary's longing is transformed and fulfilled, and she would be changed. But the turning in this text doesn't stop with just two. We'll get to the third in just a moment. Finally, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I have ascended to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So we have this beautiful moment for Mary. We have this beautiful moment, of this moment of revelation on the reality of being fully known and fully loved by Jesus. Mary overcome with emotion, joy perhaps, the leading, the primary one, most likely reached out for Jesus, and it's met with this, do not hold on to me. I, I believe the phrase is Debbie Downer. <laughs> do, wah, wah, you know, like you're so happy, don't hold on to me. <laughs> like, uh, But there's this joy that she's feeling. You can sense it, right? You can sense it. Uh, now, now, this uh, must have been super frustrating for Mary. I, mean, I don't blame her for wanting to hold on. 
Um, was this a ghost or was this really Jesus? Uh, were her eyes deceiving her, you know, perhaps embracing Jesus now when she did not prior to the crucifixion? Um, wanting to feel his presence again? Wanting to go back to the way it was? Not letting go? Not wanting to let go? I think Mary's response is often our response as well. I think in the human journey that we are on as spiritual beings, we desire to hold on to what is known, hold on to our experiences, our traditions, um, and the way things have always been. I am like Mary in this. How about you? I tend to cling to my comforts. I desire to cling to my security. I cling to my certainties um, that are so very precious to me. But I think here's the invitation this morning. And I think it's not just this morning. I think it's every morning. It doesn't have to be Easter. And I think the invitation is to let go. Do not hold on to me. Let go. In fact, we did this two weeks ago. If you remember, um, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, and we came and we, uh, we, we let go of the wheat that we had been given. And, and here we are two weeks later, and um, it hit, those kernels of wheat have died. And, and look, look what we have. It's, it's the Paschal mystery. How? How? Death, new life. Death, resurrection. It's a beautiful mystery. Amen. So we're invited invited to go, or invited to let go, but if we take it a step further, we're also invited to go. To let go and to go. Instead, go to my brothers and tell them. This is the third turn. So Mary's like getting dizzy up here, right? <laughs> she's turning around, she sees Jesus, and she has to turn around and see Jesus again. And then he says go, and then she has to go this way. So there's all this turning in this text. She's turning and turning and turning. This is the third turn, and it's a turn towards others. It's a turn towards others. Don't hold on, but go and tell. Tell others this new way of being, this new way of living. Let go and go, and Mary responds. So the remaining question is, will we? You may be in your life in this first turn kind of season. You may be experiencing a second turn most recently. And the question is, a third turn, how are we with that? What does a third turn look like? So let us follow our example, even, Mary's example, even now. Okay? Now I'm going to give you permission to do this, right? get really practical and let's practice grab your phones grab your phones if you have them i'll wait grab your phones bring it really practical and i want to pause just for a moment and i want you maybe just to ask the lord ask the lord uh, maybe to put someone in your mind and your heart who may need to hear these words today that Mary proclaimed.
that first Easter Sunday, I have seen the Lord. No explanation, just the phrase. So someone in your address book, someone, maybe the Lord will call to mind somebody, and it's just simply an invitation to proclaim. I have seen the Lord. So we'll wait. I want to, even if you hit send, you want to raise your hand and tell me you're done, that's great. We're going to do this. Let me get my pen. Stop texting me, people. <laughs> Not funny. Not funny. <laughs> Mainly this front row over here. Okay. So let us practice. This is this is a practice. This is we're practicing our response in even this small way. And as we practice this, may it become the way in which we live and move and have our being in a newly created world. Amen.